Chad Marlowe is in the House First Hour Advocacy and Policy Council at the ACLU. His focus is on privacy and technology, and his work has been on issues ranging from police body cameras to government surveillance to data privacy. It's been the subject of media coverage throughout the U.S., in the uh, Europe, in the EU, and in South America. More than a pleasure to have with us Chad Marlowe. Chad, good afternoon. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Leslie. It's a pleasure to be with you. A lot of people listening to our our show also follow us and interact with us on social media, as that seems to be the way of the world, and not just with millennials. There is a campaign, hashtag TakeCTRL, which we know means control, of our privacy. It's sweeping the nation, and this has bipartisan support. Am I correct? You're right. You know, it's funny. You know, we seem to live in a time which there is this kind of working hypothesis that there are no issues, no matter how important, uh, that Democrats and Republicans, uh, super progressives and Tea Party people can actually get together, build consensus on and work together. And although that sadly is broadly true, it does not apply to, to issues involving privacy. In issues involving privacy, you sometimes see Democrat against Democrat or Republican against Re- Republican. We saw that with uh, Julian Assange and WikiLeaks. We saw that with Edward Snowden. Um, you know, we, we've seen that certainly with some things that have come up with regard to the First Amendment freedom of the press with the uh, president. Um, we have seen it come up uh, in the past with the Patriot Act. Uh, we see it now come up with things that are being proposed by, you know, folks that seem to like Donald Trump and his followers with regard to uh, surveillance, once again, of, uh, you know, Muslims or of, of mosques without warrants. And, um, you know, of course, there are people that weigh in uh, regarding servers and emails, and you know, how uh, personal emails when somebody works for the federal government. Um, is this a uniter politically or a divider? Because I have, you know, seen a couple of liberals duke it out, you know, over the issue uh, of privacy, especially, uh, especially with Apple as of late. That's right. I mean, I, I think by and large, it's, it's a uniter. I mean, I think that we, we understand that, that when we have particular national moments or, or international moments, from, from, from 9-11 to what happened in San Bernardino to the, the Paris attacks, that, that you know, people have a strong, a visceral, and, and quite frankly, an understandable response to those incidents. And in that moment, I think there's a tendency to, to overreact, to think that, you know, we should, we should, we should uh, you know, blow up all of our constitutional Constitutional rights, so that we can we can keep ourselves safe. But fortunately, uh, as you get removed from those momentary events, I think the cooler heads tend to prevail. And I think more and more Americans are realizing, realizing, especially after the Snowden revelations, that the degree to which governments are intruding into our personal lives really goes so far beyond what it, what is necessary to, to counter whatever foreign threats we face. I mean, there was a, there was a poll taken recently in which which Americans were asked, you know, across the, the political spectrum, uh, whether or not they thought the next president of the United States should make protecting Americans' privacy a priority in their new administration. And 73% of Americans uh, said that they strongly supported it being a priority for the next president, um, and 90% supported it being a priority. So, so this is something that, that when we come out of these momentary blips of, of, of fear that are brought upon by terrorist incidents, I think Americans realize that in order to be Americans, we have to have privacy as our baseline. Uh, and, I, and I would agree with you there. People sometimes feel that because the, you know, at one time 
you know, when the internet was, you know, first invented by Al Gore, haha. Uh, but when the <laughs> when when the internet first, you know, came about, there were people talking about privacy issues then. Is it inevitable that it will be regulated and that will infringe upon somebody's privacy somewhere in some way? Because this is a whole different uh, ball game, uh, literally, than we've been used to. Because you know, cyber cyberspace isn't something that necessarily you can just reach out and grab. It's a, it's a great question, and, and the answer is it is inevitable only as a self-fulfilling prophecy, which is to say that if in the 21st century we say to ourselves, you know, with the extent to which we're all interconnected, we use the Internet, we use social media, what that basically means is that Americans have, have, have given up the ability to say, I want to protect my privacy. You know, if, if, if communication was a car, we've agreed that you can step on the accelerator, but there is no brake anymore. If we decide that that is just the way that the world works nowadays, that will be the way the world works. Okay, hold that, hold that thought. We're going to take yep. a quick break, and we'll get back to you with more. We have a lot to talk about in this hour with regard to this. You have a question or comment for our guest, Chad Marlowe, Advocacy and Policy Counsel at the ACLU. He focuses on privacy and technology. Give us a buzz, 888-6LESLIE, 888-653-7543. Your tweets are welcome. Follow me there, at Leslie Marshall. And we are back. I'm Leslie Marshall. Welcome, welcome back. Only True Democracy in Talk Radio. Talking to Chad Marlowe, Advocacy and Policy Counsel at the ACLU. His focus is on privacy and technology. Good to have you with us, Chad. Thank you for holding and uh, welcome back. Um, uh, tell folks about the campaign, hashtag TakesControlCTRL, um, and what this campaign is uh, out to do and what it sets out to do. Sure, sure. Well, you know, you know, given that there is such a such a broad and bipartisan consensus in, in support of, of privacy in the country, it's it's fairly frustrating for for Americans as well as for for elected officials throughout the nation to to look at our Congress and and, and to see basically that there is a groundswell of support for privacy legislation, and yet Congress has been unwilling to do much, frankly, on anything, uh, let alone on privacy issues. And what what take control was about about was it was about um, elected officials in states all over the country from from Alaska to Alabama from Hawaii to Massachusetts basically saying you know what we're not comfortable sitting on our hands anymore if Congress isn't going to act to protect our constituents privacy we're going to go ahead and do it by by ourselves and so as a result we had um, 16 states and the District of Columbia on the same date at the same moment announce a variety of privacy protecting legislation dealing with everything from protecting the data of students, the data of employees, uh, location tracking done in surveillance by law enforcement, and personal privacy protection like the contents of your emails, and sponsoring legislation on all these issues together, not just to try to help their constituents, but to make a broader point that this is an issue that matters to all Americans, and and we're going to fight for it. Okay, and what does the fight do? I mean, some people might say, well, a hashtag is great, but where do we go from there? And I think it's good because it's putting words into action, but we need further actions. What further actions uh, can the hashtag take uh, CTRL uh, be a springboard for? Right. Well, well, what it really is is it's 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 a way to kind of stitch together a, a, a theme around privacy because there are so many ways in which uh, Americans' privacy has kind of been 
eroded as we move into the into the digital age. And you know what? Again, some of the issues that we look about. If you know, if you go you go to work. Uh, during the day, there is a, a real possibility that in, in many states in this country, your employer could ask you to turn over your social media passwords so they can look at what wow. you posted on there or when you apply for a job. When you send your kid off to school, there's a good chance that corporations may use the, the cloud where your school s- stores your students' information or even tablets or computers they give to your kids to track everything your kids do and figure out a way to monetize. When you drive your car around your town or city, there's a good chance that your law enforcement agency may be using automatic license plate readers to track and monitor everywhere you drive. So if you go to an AA meeting or a psychiatrist or a church or a mosque, they're going to know that. Even if you happen to be having an affair, they're going to know that. And if you write an email, if you get an email on your Gmail account and you open it but you don't delete it within 180 days, law enforcement under existing federal law that was written in the 1980s, they don't need a warrant to get your emails. If it's been open for 180 days and you don't delete it, it's the position of the, of the government that they can go in and read it, even without a warrant. What? So, we, yep. we, we, we know that privacy, especially for celebrities, is you know constantly infringed upon. We know that Kim Kardashian's private hospital records were able to be viewed you know online by people. But let's talk about some non-celebrities. I'm sure you're very familiar with some of these names. Uh, and if you're not, I can fill in the blanks here. Uh, Blake Robbins, are you familiar with him? I'm not. Blake Robbins uh, had a school-issued laptop for his schoolwork, and um, it, he could communicate with his friends that way by email. In video chat, but the school was able to remotely turn on the laptop's webcam and take hundreds of pictures of him. That included when he was sleeping and partially dressed. If you want to cringe more, it actually happened. Yeah, actually, you know what? I didn't remember the name, but I do know the case that that happened in Pennsylvania. And actually, one of the bills that we have in there specifically deals with these one-to-one devices and creates very strict rules that prevent both the school and corporations from using things like tracking software on the computer to see what what books your kids are reading, what sites they're visiting, remotely turning on webcams and audio devices. You know, all these things right now operate in a vacuum because there are not good privacy protection laws. So, yeah, I I mean, there, there, there are some absolute horror stories out there in the student context alone where, where, where you know, your, your kids are basically being violated. It's not much different than these companies or schools walking into your house and rifling through your kid's bedroom. It's that intrusive. It's just done digitally. And, and you know, other kids have been affected. Richard Wade, 12 years of age, his own cell phone. He took pictures, he shared pictures with his friends like most uh, tweens or preteens do. Um, but his school took his phone. Um, searched it, seized it, because he got a text message from his father during football class, and it it snowballed. He actually got expelled because administrators felt that one of the pictures um, was gang-related when he and a friend were joking around in a bathroom with a BB gun uh, taking pictures. Um, This is beyond 1984. Oh, it is, it is, and that's actually an ACLU client, so we're very familiar with that case. You know, again, you know, in that in that case, you know, it's it's a weird. Again, it's a hole in the privacy laws. If if Richard had been walking around on the streets of his town, there is no way a government official could have seized and searched his phone. But the mere fact that he was on school grounds, it's like those basic protections evaporated. 
And again, that, that's another thing. We have a specific bill that deals with what we call personal technology on campus that, that you know, is being brought in, in, in several states, you know, in, in particular in the District of Columbia and Minnesota right now, that say, you know what, if you seize a kid's device in school, that's fine if that's in your policy, but you cannot search it unless you have reasonable suspicion and a warrant. I want to ask, Robert Collins was a veteran corrections officer. He used social media to share personal photos and thoughts with his family and friends like most of us do. But his employer, and this is to your point earlier about employment, when he went through the job recertification process, his employer was able to view personal information on his social media account. Now, some people would say, look, you know, my mother always said don't write any, and this was long before there was an Internet. Don't write anything down. You don't want the rest of the world to see. And I, I'm very big on that. My crew knows that, right? You know, I'm very careful about what I write down, and not just for legal means because of what mom said. But now when we have Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and websites and blogging and chat rooms, the list goes on, um, where is the line between what we put out there for the world to see and then what we put out there for only the people we want to see on our private devices. Another great question and a really important one. And the, the, the short answer is the line is where you say the line is. And, uh, and in, in, all, in all due respect to your mother, Leslie, um, I, I think what she's cautioning you is wise, but it's, it's troubling. And, and because what it says to Americans, if you follow that through, is um, you, the, the way you can really protect yourself is by not speaking, by not communicating your thoughts and ideas with others. And that is, that is not only troubling from a First Amendment standpoint, but it also it, it can really shatter the core of our democracy. You know, the way, that, the way that, that many of us may have used a telephone 20 years ago, Americans, particularly younger Americans, are using social media to communicate. And the idea that, you know, we, we, you know I know of a, of a, of a girl uh, who's, a, who's a freshman in high school in Florida who, who um, posted a picture of a, of a Facebook account uh, on her Facebook of a, of a food fight and got suspended from school. And she just closed her Facebook account because it was too dangerous. But do we want to set up an America where people have to give up using social media because they're too afraid to use it? Because either the government or an employer or anyone else they don't want to see the pictures might look without their permission. And that's what take control is about. Privacy is not about secrecy. It's about control and empowerment. And each one of us has the right to draw the line in different places. You know, Leslie, you or I might draw the line in a very different place than Kim Kardashian draws the line. But we both have a right to draw that line. And we may decide that we want to share personal information with you know, a couple dozen or a couple hundred friends, and someone like Kim Kardashian may choose to, to share it with only a couple hundred thousand people. Um, but each one of us has a right to draw that line. And, and empowering people around a right to privacy means allowing them to draw that line in a meaningful way. And let's talk about a great piece you wrote entitled How Americans Can Take Back Our Privacy. Privacy concerns are uniting uh, Democrats and Republicans. Um, Americans can, because, you know, this is, like you said, across the political spectrum you talk about in your, in, in your piece. And people aren't just afraid. Now that, you know, it's a, it's a higher level, they're angry, they're outraged. And now people are becoming outspoken because more and more of us are becoming more educated and learning more about – it's not just government surveillance, 
corporations that have surveillance as well, right? And, and, mm-hmm. and an example would be when somebody goes to, you know, uh, recertify you, if you will, uh, for a job. Um, you, you talk about, and this is very 1984, but it is a reality. The government has used our cell phones and our car license plates, and they can track our, our, our movements, even though they may not officially uh, say, yes, we do that. We, we know that's happening. Um, so what can Americans do to take their privacy back? If you had to say a one, two, three, in addition to joining the hashtag movement. Yeah, I mean, well, really what it amounts to, and let me just throw in one other thing just so, so your listeners know about it. Another thing they do is use these things called cell site simulators, otherwise known as stingrays, which basically are trick cell phone towers that force your cell phone to tell the government or whoever's using a stingray device where you are. Um, so, yeah, oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, and they really exist. They absolutely 100% exist, uh, and, and they operate in, in a lot of places. Um, and so all these things are out there, um, and, and really what, what we need to do is we need to, as Americans, come together and draw lines. We need to say, for example, that, you know, with respect to these license plate readers and stingrays, that if you want to use them, and there may be legitimate times to use them, you need to go through a warrant process. You know, in the in the school context, when you're talking about using student data, you have to get permission to use the data, specific permission. We'd like to use this information to offer you this product and, and get specific permission. You know, with respect to your emails, if they want to read the emails, whether they're 180 days old or, you know, 180 minutes old, you need to get a warrant. And so what we have failed to do and what we're trying to do with the Take Control campaign and stitch it together and building coalitions is to start passing laws that draw these lines definitively and that, that, that tell the government and tell corporations that, that Americans have a right to privacy. It has to be respected, and here's how you are required under law to respect it. So that's really what we're going out there and trying to do with this effort. You wrote your piece. This is something you're very passionate about. This seems to be your number one issue, and you have a lot of expertise and background in this area. How come? How come this is your your mountain to die on? Well, you know, it's 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 a good question, and I think really what it comes down to is that everybody's mind is kind of the laboratory of who they are as a person, and that that within your mind you have to have the right to not only come up with great ideas but bad ideas. And in your mind, you should have the right to explore good options and bad options. And that what privacy allows you to do is it allows you to think without the world knowing. It allows you to go and explore concepts and ideas and places without the world knowing. And it gives you the ability to go out there, investigate something, and reject it without the world knowing. Or to get medical treatment without the world knowing. And so it really is... Privacy really protects your right to to be a complete person, to be able to truly explore your world and your universe and to express your ideas, maybe controversial ideas, maybe ideas that you and your friends love but your employer might not, in in a space that is protected. And so when you break down those walls, when people don't have the ability to explore, to learn, to express in a way that not everyone gets to see, you can't really develop into a full and free human being. And, and that really is what privacy is about. And, you know, it's, it's almost hard sometimes as Americans because we've never, really, we, we've never really lived under a truly repressive regime. Although, 
you know, as it slowly gets eroded, we move in that direction. But, you know, ask someone who lived in East Germany during the Cold War with the Stasi looking over their shoulder what it's like, what they felt like in terms of their overall freedoms when they had no privacy. And they'll tell you there were no freedoms. And, and although it's conceptually difficult for Americans to, to see us going there, and we probably never will, we do have to realize that the less privacy that we have, the less freedom we have. And I think that Americans are finally starting to connect those dots. Uh, we have a caller, and I don't have time to take it. I'm going to take his comment. And he says, and many people feel, and this is an area where it's gray, when it comes to stopping another San Bernardino shooter, I'm in support of a one-time backdoor entry into people's cell phones, uh, talking about the Apple versus the FBI issue. I would imagine you disagree with that, and, and why, for folks who may feel the way that caller does. Right. Well, first of all, there's no such thing as a one-time backdoor. If, if you create a backdoor into phones, it is a backdoor that can be used over and over again. And it can not only be used in the United States, it can be used in countries throughout the world where they have very repressive regimes and, and would use that backdoor to really crack down on dissidents. It's a backdoor that's created for hackers who can then use that, pri- that, that security weakness to get into your phone. So it's, it's impossible to create a one-time backdoor. And another thing, too, is that, you know, this, this, the idea of breaking down the privacy around your personal devices is, is a bit of a fallacy, because if you really think about it, the only thing that breaking that down can do is, is maybe give you some information after a terrorist event as to what happened. But before a terrorist event, you don't necessarily know who you're looking at. If you knew specifically who you were looking at, you could get a warrant. So the only idea of having this kind of more open backdoor idea is to be able to look at everybody in a scattershot way. But even then, you're collecting so much data, it's not even useful. So I understand the desire to say, you know, when someone says, if we had X, we could stop terrorists, then a lot of people said, well, give me X. But the reality of it is, is, you know, in the case of Apple, having a backdoor to their phone creates huge numbers of problems and doesn't really solve any. And I think that, that Americans need to educate themselves more fully. They can certainly go to ACLU.org to learn more about the issue, but they need to educate themselves more fully on, on what the downstream results would be of creating a so-called backdoor into our private devices. You are great. Uh, We'll definitely have you back on in the future regarding these types of privacy issues. Thank you, Chad. Uh, Chad Marlowe, Advocacy and Policy Counsel at the ACLU. As you heard, he knows his stuff with regard to privacy and technology. Follow him on Twitter at Chad Aaron Marlowe, C-H-A-D-A-A-R-O-N-M-A-R-L-O-W. The website is ACLU.org. And that campaign hashtag again is hashtag TakeCTRL. Join them.